All right, welcome everybody. You guys can come back in and find a place that you want to grab a seat. One announcement we forgot to make earlier is this Friday at 6 p.m. we have the Warsaw Archery Club that will be meeting, which is for guys that are 14 to 94. So anywhere in between there, you're welcome to come as long as you can see. And uh, we'd love to have you guys come out and hang out and shoot together. So two weeks ago, I started a series called Live Generously. And in that first sermon, I talked about the fact that God isn't actually after your money. He's actually after something much bigger than your money. He's after your heart. But the easiest way for God to direct your heart is to direct your money. Today we're going to be talking about the blessing of generosity. The blessing of generosity. The times we're living in are pretty crazy times. We have soaring gas prices and soaring food prices. Inflation is like higher than it's been since the 70s. We're probably in the middle of a recession right now. We're living in really challenging times and that's really hard for people. But I wonder how could we not only get by, how could we not only survive in challenging economic times, but how can we thrive and walk in blessing in challenging economic times? That's what we're going to look at today. In many ways, I think we've ignored God's wisdom when it comes to money, and we've kind of tried to do it on our own, thinking that we know better. Really, the central question that we need to answer today is, what is God's blessing worth to you? I want you to think about that for a second. What is God's blessing worth to you? If we want God's blessing, we have to handle our money the way that God tells us to. I shared two Sundays ago a little bit about the life of Solomon. About Solomon who tried to experience all the pleasures of the world to see if any of those things would satisfy. And in the end, he said, none of those things satisfied. It was all meaningless. In the end, he said the only thing that would satisfy is God. I told you that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, and he was also the wealthiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that his, uh, him being wealthy was just a happenstance. I believe his wisdom led to his wealth. So today we're going to look at what Solomon has to say about money. Some people will read one chapter in Proverbs a day. It works nicely to do that because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and most months have 31 days in them. So reading a chapter in Proverbs is like reading or taking in a steady diet of wisdom. So today we're going to look and see what Solomon has to say about money. When we look at money, we tend to think it's ours, it's mine. When we view money as God's, it changes the way that we look at it because God lacks nothing. So it opens the door for us to be generous when we see money as God's. That's the first thing that Solomon tells us is that money is God's. It's God's money. In Proverbs 10, 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow. And then the psalmist in Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Money comes from God. Wealth comes from God. Our mindset towards money has to start with seeing money as God's. It's him that makes us financially prosper. Now this is a little bit contradictory to the American way of I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. 
The American way is independence, and the way of the gospel is actually dependence. It's dependence on God. Paul even, even says, I boast in my weakness. And as Americans, oftentimes we boast in our strength and what we can accomplish. Are you willing to be dependent on God fully when it comes to your finances? Are you willing to set aside arrogance and pride and say, God, I'm not going to try and do this on my own, but I'm going to depend on you. When it comes to money in the Bible, there's a word that pops up often that isn't a word that we use very much in our day-to-day conversation. It's the word steward. Really what steward means is a manager. So when the Bible talks about a steward, it would be kind of like today talking about a money manager or an asset manager. What God is asking us to do is he's asking us to manage his affairs, his possessions, his wealth. Now let's say for a second that you were the owner of a large, successful corporation. Maybe we'll say a three to four million dollar corporation. If you sat down with your chief financial officer and said, you know, all right, what are we going to do for the year? And your CFO says, well, we're just going to just kind of see how things go. I'm not really feeling a budget this year. You'd probably look at that person and say, well, how are you going to spend my money? How are you going to grow this company? And if that person said, well, I was just going to kind of play it by ear, just kind of feel it out, see what I feel in the moment, hopefully you would fire that joker because that's not how you run a successful corporation. Well, as it turns out, the average person in America in their working lifetime makes three to four million dollars. So you actually are the CFO of a three to, three to four million dollar corporation called Me Incorporated. How are you managing that corporation? Are you managing it well? Are you being a good steward of it? Or have you been kind of frivolous with it? One of the first ways that Solomon says that we can manage money well is to get on a budget. Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 24, Solomon says, Riches can disappear fast, and the king's crown doesn't stay in his family forever. So watch your business interests closely. Know the states of your flocks and your herd. I've heard people say so many times, I don't know where the money goes. Like we make enough money, but there just doesn't seem to be enough. I don't know where the money goes. That's the thing about money, is money is always headed somewhere. Money is always going somewhere. So our options are basically this. We can put a plan together on the front side and tell our money where we want it to go, or we can look back at the end of the month and wonder where our money went. When it comes to money, I want you to start to think of money like this. It's God's to give and mine to manage. It's God's to give and it's mine to manage. Think for a second about the children of Israel. They were wandering around in the wilderness and God started giving them manna from heaven. It was like Amazon Prime dropped by a drone, right? Just manna falling from the sky. But then they come to the promised land and that manna dries up. And God gave them the blessing of the promised land. And the promised land was incredible. It had like fertile soil. It was amazing. But now they had responsibility. He wasn't just going to give them manna anymore. Now they had to manage the blessing that God had given them. 
with my kids when they were young. There were times when they were very small where April would take food and she would put it in a food processor and then she would put it in a bowl and she would give it to me and give me a spoon and I would take the spoon and I would literally put the food right in my kid's mouth. Like they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to make it. They didn't have to make money to get it. They didn't even have to chew it. Like it's already processed in a blender. And I just scoop it up and put it in their mouth. But if I was doing that with Jocelyn now, who's 15, that might look a little weird. Because eventually, I require and expect her to have some responsibility, her to learn how to manage herself and how to eat on her own and manage her time and take care of herself. That's where most of us are with God. God's looking at us and he's saying, I've given you a whole lot of blessing. It's time for you to start to manage the blessing that I've given you. Uh, one of the ways that we can manage well is we can get on a budget. Um, Easy credit has covered up the fact that most of us have not managed our money well. And we go into debt, and we hope that one day we'll get ahead. We hope that one day something will happen for us to get ahead. But I hate to tell you, you're not going to get ahead without a plan. You can stumble into debt, but you can't stumble out. The only way you can get out is with a plan and intentionality. Living on a budget, looks I'll tell you how it looks for April and I. For us, we sit down at the beginning of the year, and we kind of lay out a map of all the money that we know that we're going to make in the given year. And we map out where we want every dollar to go. And that starts with tithes and offerings. It, there's places in our budget for generosity and then bills and taxes and all the normal sorts of things. But in the beginning of the year, before we've made anything, we lay out a map for that money. And then that kind of trickles down into a monthly budget or a monthly spending plan where we can tell you where we're spending every single dollar we make because we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. Now, when we first started doing that, it felt kind of intimidating, kind of cumbersome and time-consuming to put together a plan like that. But eventually, it just became a normal part of the rhythm of life for us. It really doesn't take hardly any time at all now to do that anymore. Just like you can get stuck in a negative rut, you can get into a good groove when it comes to your finances. The third thing that Solomon says is he says to live below your means. Proverbs 21.20 says, Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. When you look at that spectrum of wise people live in wealth and luxury, and then the other end of the spectrum is stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. Where do you fall on that spectrum? How are you doing when it comes to that? Does money just seem to fly out of your hand as soon as you get your hands on it? One of my favorite books on personal finance is actually the first book I read on personal finance. It's The Millionaire Next Door. Maybe some of you have read it. It's a very, very popular book in the late 90s and early 2000s. And The Millionaire Next Door, what it, it was a book that was put together by two doctors and they were trying to paint a picture for America of what the average millionaire looks like. And it was such a shocking picture that they painted that it became, it, the book was on the New York Times bestseller list for more than three years because everyone was so shocked by what the millionaires in the country looked like. When I pictured a millionaire, I kind of pictured someone who was taking vacations on a yacht and someone who's driving sports cars and like living this life of luxury. But what the millionaire next door found was that wasn't what the average millionaire looked like at all. 
they put together information like they found out how much the average millionaire spends on a pair of jeans. And when you think of a millionaire, you probably think they're going to have the newest styles and the newest trends. As it turns out, the average millionaire never spent more than $30 on a pair of jeans. They looked at the vehicles that these millionaires drove. And like I said, I'm, I'm thinking of a millionaire driving a Lamborghini or some crazy car like that. The average millionaire in America at the time that book was written drove an eight-year-old Ford F-150. The second most popular vehicle driven by the average millionaire in America was a 2005 Toyota Camry. So, Jed Wilson, the millionaire among us, right? So, what this book showed us was that millionaires don't fall for spending their money the second they get their hands on it. But they have a plan and they save for the future, they invest. They're not chasing shiny, they don't have shiny object syndrome. They're not chasing the newest and the latest and the greatest. They're not falling for the greatest advertisement system that's ever existed on planet Earth. Solomon says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it, and wealthy people live in luxury. What Solomon is trying to teach us is delayed gratification versus instant gratification. Instant gratification is going out and spending your money on something that's going to gratify you in the moment but probably doesn't last. Delayed gratification is not spending your money immediately so that you can do something with it to plan for the future. Now, that sounds like Solomon's right. To spend your money immediately is stupid. But we have, we have stopped fighting the battle between delayed gratification and instant gratification and now we have what I call accelerated gratification. So instant gratification is spending the money you have right now in the moment because it feels good. Accelerated gratification says the money that I have right now isn't even enough to spend to make me feel the way that I want to. So I'm going to take future dollars from myself and I'm going to go into debt today in order to rob from my future self so that I can be gratified in the current day. And all that's going to do is dig a bigger hole for you to fall into that's going to be harder to get out of in the future. When we go into debt, we're literally robbing from our future selves. Proverbs 13, 7 says, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. There's a saying they have about this scripture in Texas. It's called, all hat and no cattle. All hat and no cattle. It's a, a saying they use to talk about someone who looks like a rancher, someone who looks like a cowboy, but it's really just a facade. It only goes as deep as his wranglers because the truth is he doesn't have any cattle, he doesn't have a farm, he doesn't have any land, he doesn't have any wealth. The scripture is contrasting two ideas, one of which is very, very popular in 2022. The first idea is to fake it till you make it. It's this idea of looking the part, even though it's not real. It's trying to look wealthy when you're really not. And then the other idea that it's talking about here is stealth wealth, which is another phrase that's become popular in these days. Stealth wealth, which is not feeling the need to flash your money, not trying to do things to look cool or to look rich, but being secure in who God has made you to be. I was listening to someone share recently. It was uh, someone who considered themselves to be a minimalist, and they were talking about being content in their relationship with God and not having to use things in their life to try and bring them satisfaction. 
This woman got done with her talk and she took questions from the audience. And this woman raised her hand and she said, how can you be so content with, with so much less than others? And her response, I thought, I loved it. She said, I extract a lot of joy from a few things. I extract a lot of joy from a few things. The lady raised her hand again and she said, I don't understand what you mean. Can you explain it to me? She said, yeah. She said, if you think of the stuff that I have in my life as oranges, she said the average person might squeeze one drop of juice from the orange and then go on to the next and squeeze another drop and squeeze another drop and go on to the next and squeeze another drop. In the end, it might have taken a 55-gallon drum full of oranges to get them the amount of juice that would satisfy them. She said, me? She said, I pull a cup of juice from every orange. She said, I'm only, it might only take one or maybe two oranges to satisfy. I'm not constantly chasing more and more stuff to satisfy. And this woman was actually a musician. And she also sung some songs while she was there uh, at this presentation. And she talked about this documented syndrome called GAS. And GAS stands for Gear Acquisition Syndrome. Maybe you know a musician in your life that has Gear Acquisition Syndrome. She says it's a documented condition where musicians chase more and more gear, looking for more and more sound and some specific tone they're chasing that seems almost unattainable. And they just keep acquiring more gear to try and get where they're trying to go, but it never seems to get them there. She said, as for me, I'm perfectly content with my guitar, which is a little tiny backpack guitar, a pen, and a notebook. It doesn't take a whole lot of stuff to make me happy because I realize stuff doesn't actually make us happy in our life. The reason we live below our means is to do two things. It's to plan for the future and it's to give. And I want to talk a little bit about both of those things. Most people live frustrated that they haven't built any wealth, but the truth is they haven't planted any seeds. They eat their seeds instead of planting them. If you want to go grow wealth, you need to plant seeds that will actually grow into wealth. You need to invest. Sometimes I see people have things happening in their life, and they seem like shocked by these things, but a person who was wise could see these things coming a mile away. Recently, I was talking to someone who acted like just completely shocked that their hot water heater failed. And their hot water heater, he looked it up, it was 22 years old. And I'm like, well, the average lifespan of a, a hot water heater is eight years, so you did pretty good. But he just seemed completely shocked by the fact that his hot water heater had failed. Another person had, was driving their car that was like 20 years old. Nothing wrong with a 20-year-old car, I drive one. But if you drive a 20-year-old car, stuff's going to break on it sometimes. But this person was completely shocked that they had to put a little bit of money into their car. Another person I talked to was shocked that their furnace failed. Just like completely shocked. It just threw them for a loop. And This person was telling me their great-grandfather installed the furnace. And I'm like, your great-grandfather, who probably didn't know what he was doing, installed the furnace, and you're shocked that the thing finally, like that thing's been on borrowed time for 10 years. We act shocked by this stuff because we live so close to the edge financially. We don't save for the future. We don't save for emergencies. We don't save for the stuff of life that comes up. We live right on the edge, and then we act totally surprised when things happen. Solomon said in Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, 
you slacker. First Solomon called us stupid, now he's calling us a slacker. Solomon is not holding any punches this morning. He says, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in the summer. It gathers its food for the harvest. Solomon is saying, look at the ant, the little tiny ant. You can't even see its brain. The thing is so small. But somehow the ant knows to prepare for the future. The ant sets aside some of what it gathers in the summer to prepare for the winter. Most of us had grandmothers who might gather some change out of the bottom of her purse or might take a few dollars that she had and she might give it to us. And most of our grandmothers when we were kids would say to us the same thing. She would say, Use some to get something you like and save the rest for a rainy day. Save the rest for a rainy day. A lot of grandmothers used to say that. Grandma had been through some stuff in her life. She'd been through some hard days. She's been through a lot of different seasons in her life. And she knows that in life, stuff happens. She knows roofs need to be replaced. She knows foundations crumble and need to be repaired. She knows transmissions go out in cars sometimes. She knows medical emergencies happen. She knows that stuff happens. And even as children, grandmas were trying to teach us to save and plan for the future. Some of you might have even had parents or grandparents who have passed away and left inheritances to you. If that happened to you, don't take that lightly. The only way your parents or grandparents could have had anything to leave for you was if they saved and planned for the future. I have a shocking piece of information for some of you, but there is going to come a day where you're going to want to retire, or maybe you're going to need to retire. It's a very real day for Pastor Chris as it's coming up quickly. There's going to come a day where your body won't hold up to the kind of work that you're doing day in and day out now. It's like in the back of our mind, we all know that day is coming, but so many of us are not properly planning for that time. So many of us don't have a plan that we're putting together for how we're going to get there and what it's going to look like. If you want to reap a financial harvest in the future, you have to plant financial seeds today. The second reason that, we li- that Solomon tells us to live below our means is to give extravagantly. Uh, two Sundays ago, I referenced a scripture in Malachi that talks about tithing, and I'd like to share that scripture with you this morning. It's Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? In a day where everything around us seems to be changing so fastly, and it's like sometimes you can hardly keep your bearings on what's going on around us in the world. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So grateful for that. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Turn to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The first thing I want you to see in this scripture is that what you keep, you have, but what you give, God multiplies. What you keep for yourself, that's what you have. But what you can find a way to release out of your hand, that God will multiply. I don't know about you, but I could use some multiplication in my finances. God says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Sometimes I hear people say things like, oh, I tithe 5% or I tithe this, this amount over here and that amount over here. That word tithe in Hebrew literally means a tenth. So if you say you tithe 10%, as it turns out, you're not tithing. You're giving, but you're not tithing because that word literally means 10%. And when he says to bring it into the storehouse, he means to bring it to the place that you're fed. For most of us, that's here at Family Life Church. Bring it to the place that you're, you're fed. But then God says something that was kind of surprising to me. And I actually spent a lot of time this week looking in the Bible, trying to see if I could find any other place in the Bible where God says to test him. And as it turns out, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any other place in the Bible where God says, test me. I could find a bunch of places where he says, don't test me in something. But this is the only place that I could find in the entire Bible where God says, test me in this. And then he says, if we give, he says, give our tithes and offerings. He says, he will pour out more blessing than we could even store up. More blessing than we would even know what to do with. More blessing than we would even know how to contain. God's inviting us this morning to test him in this. And what an awesome promise. What a huge promise from God that if we're faithful to give, he will pour back into our lives more than we could even store. I want to real quick give you three things that tithing is, and I'm going to end with a story. The first thing that tithing is, is this recognition of God's past provision recognizing God's past provision in our life. The second thing that it is, is prioritizing God in our present. And the third thing that it is, is placing our faith in God for the future. In Proverbs, Solomon almost quotes that verse in Malachi as a testimony of what he has seen in his own life. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's like Solomon is saying, hey, that word in Malachi from God, that promise from God is true. What I did, it was I gave, and as I gave God of the first fruits, my barns were overflowing, and my vats were brimming over. When we give, we recognize God's past provision in our life. So we give saying, God, You've been so faithful in my life. When I look back over my life, I might get stressed out about little things here and there in my life, but when I look back, you've been so faithful and so good. The second thing that tithing does is it prioritizes God today in the present. It says, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm giving to you first, the first 10%, the first fruits of the money that I make, I'm giving to you because I want you to know that you're first in my life. And the third thing that it does is it places our faith in God for the future says, God, I'm giving this 10% now. I was having a hard time getting by on 100%, but I'm giving you 10%. So now I've only got 90, and I'm believing by faith that that 90% is going to go further than the 
ever could have gone on its own because your blessing is on it. When April and I got married, both of us had kind of grown up being givers. We both grew up in families where tithing was just normal. So for us, that's just what we always did. That's how we grew up. But then we got married, and um, leading up to getting married, I had been in Bible school for three years. And during that time, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, I had committed that I didn't want to go into debt to go to school. So I was working really hard to try and make enough money to pay for school while I was going. And I did that. I graduated from school, and I remember there was this lady who would collect money, and like every Friday I would go down and I would see her, and we got to be really good friends because I didn't have a check to pay for school at the beginning, so I would see her every Friday. Every Friday I'd get paid, and I'd go, and I'd take her my money, and I'd hand it to her, and she'd say, God provided again. I know he's going to continue, and I'd say, I know he will. I'll see you next Friday. So every Friday I'd go there, and I'd, I'd take my, whatever money I made, and I would give it to her to pay for school. And then I wanted to get engaged because I fell in love with April. So I had to save up money for an engagement ring. And it was kind of hard to do that while I was also trying to pay for school. But by God's grace, found a way to make it happen. Then uh, we got engaged. And then I had like two months before, at the end of school before we were going to get married. And so during that time, I was working and saving up as much money as I could to um, pay for an apartment and to furnish it and to pay for a honeymoon and all that sort of thing. Kind of the normal things that people are doing in that stage of life. And during that time, as you could imagine, I never really had any financial buffer in my life. Like All of my dollars were going to pay for Bible school and then to pay for a ring and then to pay for an apartment. And I was just kind of starting out my life and I didn't really have a ton of money sitting in the bank account or anything like that. But then we got married. And when we got married... Um, we invited a bunch of people to a wed the wedding. We had a big wedding. April was a pastor's kid, and I was a pastor's kid, so there was a bunch of people that were like involved in our life. So we had a big wedding. And people gave to us financially in a way that I completely did not expect. I mean, I, the thought never really crossed my mind. Like We put some gifts on a registry, and I figured some people would get some of those things, and maybe some people wouldn't want to go to the store, so they might give us a little money or something. But some people gave to us in a way that was completely shocking to us. We were like completely blown away. And we were just like, stood there like in amazement. Like I was not expecting this at all. Like, thank you, Lord. So then we went on our honeymoon. We came back and we're getting our apartment set up and working and just kind of starting off our marriage together. And it was a Friday night and I got a text from a friend when I was at lunch. And he said, hey, there's this evangelist speaking at a church in Rochester. And I wondered if you guys wanted to go with us tonight. So we said, sure, let's go. So I called April and I said, hey, you want to go see this evangelist? And she said, yeah, let's do it. So we got home and we like went straight from, we ended up working late, so we ended up going straight to the church from there. So we get to the church and we have worship and then we sit down and the evangelist is speaking and then he, he kind of stops for a second and he says, I'm going to do something I've never done before. He said, I feel like God just told me to take up an offering at the end of this service to pay off the mortgage for this church. He wasn't from this church. He had like nothing, no, nothing to benefit from it. He wasn't taking up an offering for himself. So I feel like God said to take up an offering and pay off the mortgage of this church. They were in a new building. It was probably a pretty expensive building. Like it looked very nice. And then he just kind of went on with his sermon. Uh, before he went on, he said, I'm not asking you to give a dime that God doesn't tell you to give. If God doesn't tell you to give something, don't give. But whatever God tells you to give, give that. So he kept preaching and I was sitting there, and uh, I was praying, and I, I was going to give. I mean, I give, usually, I, the way I look at it, anytime there's an offering, 
Anytime there's an opportunity to give, I feel like that's God giving me that opportunity, and I take that opportunity. So I thought, you know, we'll give 100 bucks or we'll give 200 bucks or something because I'm a generous person, and like, that's kind of what, what I was thinking. So then I thought, you know what, I'll pray that prayer that he, he asked me to pray. So I just prayed a short little prayer and said, God, what do you want me to give? And God's answer was terrifying, literally. I mean, I was terrified. Like, I just got married. I feel a lot of pressure to provide for my wife. It's just what I felt. Like, I felt like it's my job to provide for her, and I want her to have a nice life and whatever. Finally, I have this little bit of cushion in the bank, which I've, like, never had before because I've been shoving along, shoveling all my money to the Bible school. So I finally have this little cushion, and what God says is, would you give it all? And I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't give it all. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Just like, give it all? Are you kidding me? Like, this is the first time in my life, the first time in my life I have a little bit of cushion. Like, April and I don't even hardly know each other. We just got married. Like, I have no idea how, what kind of security she feels towards that money. Like, I don't know how she's going to feel about this. Like, are you sure you really want me to give it all? Yes, give it all. I'm like, all right, I'll give it all, but I don't think April will, so I'm not going to tell her. You have to tell her. Like, I'm not going to bring it up with her. you got to tell her to, to give it all, right? So I'm just sitting there, and my heart is like racing. My temperature is rising, and I just kind of like lean forward and put my head in my hands and just, just listen to the rest of the sermon. And then I realize I'm hungry. We didn't get groceries yet. I was planning to go out to eat after we leave this place, and it's Friday night, and rent is due on Monday. So maybe what God meant by give it all was like take out the rent, take out money for Applebee's, take out money for the groceries, and then give it all. Like, maybe that's what God meant by it all. I'm like, Lord, is that what you meant by it all? Give it all. Okay, I didn't think so, but it was worth a try. So then it gets to the end of his sermon, and uh, he says, I'm just going to give you a couple minutes just to talk to the Lord before we take up that offering. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to the Lord. He already asked for everything. Like, what's he going to ask for next, you know? So finally I lean over and I say to April, what do you think we should give? And I figured she hears from the Lord more clearly than I do and she's more spiritual. Maybe God will tell her the 200 bucks or maybe 300 and maybe that'll be okay. So I said, what do you think we should give? And she said, I think we should give it all. And I'm like, I was afraid you were going to say that. I said, do you, do you mean all like after Applebee's groceries and, and rent? And she said, no, I think we're supposed to give it all. It's like, Okay. So she writes out a check and hands it to me to sign it. So I sign it and stick it in the offering. And we left there, and honestly, I was terrified. It's like, what did, I, what did we just do? Like the little bit of cushion, the first time in my whole life that we had a little bit of cushion in the checking account, we just gave it all away to some Indian guy named Nasir Siddiqui. Like, what, what did we just do, Lord? Like, we got in the car and we prayed a prayer that sounded a lot like those three things that tithing is. We prayed a prayer and we said, Lord, you've been so faithful in our lives. Like we wanted to go, go to Bible school and graduate debt-free. Like that's what we both wanted, felt like you called us to, and we just did that. We both just graduated and we didn't have any debt. You've been so faithful to provide for us, to provide for our families over the years. And God, this is our 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 marriage that we're just starting out together and in the beginning of this marriage we gave this amount because we want you to know that you're first you're first in our marriage so we're giving telling you god we're putting you first and then we gave full of faith 
and a little bit of fear, but a lot of faith too, saying, God, we believe that you're going to provide for us in the future. And we didn't know what it was going to look like. I, I, le- I legitimately did not know what we were going to do for rent. So we went home. We got a little something to eat. We went to bed. The next morning I got up, and I didn't sleep real good that night. I was like kind of anxious, and I felt that pressure, like what did I just do? So I got up early, and I spent some time with the Lord, reading Proverbs, thinking maybe I'd find some wisdom in there that would help me to settle down a little bit. And then my phone rang, and it was my landlord. And uh, when, we had, when we had signed the lease on the apartment, there was a storm door on the outside of the apartment. It was kind of rotted at the bottom, and it looked kind of junky. So I asked him if I could replace the storm door, and he said, sure. He said, I'll get a storm door, and I'll bring it over if you don't mind throwing it in. I said, sure, I can do that. So I put the storm door in. It didn't take more than an hour or something like that, maybe a little less than an hour. And I said, so I swung by the other day, and I saw you had put the storm door in. And I said, yeah. He said, it looked great. He said, actually, I need to put storm doors in all of my apartments in the entire complex. There was like 250 apartments or something like that. So he said, you did a really good job on it. He said, I was wondering if you'd be interested in putting the storm doors in for me. He said, I'd give you 100 bucks a door if you wanted to put them in for me. And it took me less than an hour to put it in. So I'm like, 100 bucks an hour? I think I can make that work, you know? And uh, so he said, what we'll do is we can just deduct the amount from your rent if you want. He said, or if you want to put them all, if you want to take a couple weeks off of work and put them all in, he said, now let's write you a check, you know, whatever you want. He said, how about for next week, you just, our rent was 600 bucks. He said, how about you uh, just put six doors in next week for me, and I, I won't collect any rent from you on Monday. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is the Lord. This is the provision of the Lord. This is God. I was worried about how to pay the rent, but here God brought a way to give me more blessing than I even know what to do with, more doors than I could even cha- have time to change, I don't think we ever paid rent again for as long as we lived there because I was just putting doors in for him to pay for our rent. And you could look at that and you could look at that cynically and you could say, well, God didn't give you that. You did that. Yeah, I put the, put the doors in. Yeah, I had some skin in the game. But in that moment when we took a step of faith and gave and I didn't know how rent was going to be paid that month and what God gave me was a way to pay rent, for the next year that we lived there, where I never had to write the guy a check for rent the whole time we were there, we saw that as God's faithfulness, his answered prayer, and his provision in our life. It doesn't mean that I don't have to put my hand to work, but we still saw that as God's faithfulness and provision. And that isn't the only time that God has asked us to give. There's been times where God has asked us to give where we felt like we were in a place of lack, where we didn't even have what we needed. And every time we have stepped out and gave, we have seen God's faithfulness, where he keeps his word, where he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more than you could even store. There's blessing that God has for you on the other side of your obedience. There's blessing that God has for you on the other side of your obedience. Would you bow your heads this morning? Where are you at with your finances? Are you in a place where you have been living generously, joining God in being a giver? Maybe you're in a place where you haven't really been able to give and there's some work that you got to do. Maybe for you it's learning how to, to live on a budget, learning how to live below your means. Or maybe for you it's just time to step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to test you in this. 
I'm going to start to tithe and give offerings faithfully and believe that as I step out in this, I will see your blessing in my life like you promised. Lord, I want this church to be a church that's full of givers. Lord, would you make us a people that join you in giving? Lord, your whole plan for rescuing humanity started with giving your son. And sometimes we turn around and we're so stingy and we hold our hands so tightly. God, would you let us follow you in being givers? Lord, I ask that specifically as people step out and say, you know what? I'm going to test God in this like he said to. I'm going to give. I'm going to give tithes and offerings more faithfully than I ever have before. Lord, I ask that as people step out and do that, just like I did on that day where you asked me to empty our checking account, Lord, I ask that there would be clear things that they could point to, clear things that they could see and they could point to and they could say, this is God answering this prayer. This is God giving back. This is God opening the floodgates of heaven. Lord, make us givers. Make us like you. In your name I pray. Amen. Have a blessed week. Go be givers. Oh, yes, I was supposed to announce something. Um, VBS is this week, and we're looking for some help to stack chairs to empty the sanctuary. So if you're able-bodied and want to help with that, we would love it. We're going to stack them five high and put them on the outside of the sanctuary. Thanks so much.